Welcome to the Stott Legacy. He is within us. He shares in the pain. The reason we must worship God is that only we God must not ask God to change His timetable because we are getting Lord a little bit of pain. Think of the beginning of the first letter of Peter when he says that we were. He heard the voice of God. The it is 2021, and this marks the centenary of the birth of John Stott in central London. He holds a unique place in 20th century church history, not just because of his impact on the British church, but because of his impact on the global church. So throughout the year, we will meet a broad range of people from across the world, both women and men who knew him and worked closely with him, as well as those who never met him, but were nevertheless shaped by his preaching and writing. This is not because he always got things right. He was quick to admit his own flaws and blind spots, but because his thought, life and example represent many challenges to our own generation. My name is Mark Mennell and I hope you will join me as we explore inspiration, challenges and insights from the life of Uncle John. Can you see a little red light saying that it's recording? Yeah, at the corner here. Great. Well, I owe quite a lot to... Uh... British Christians. The voice you just heard was that of Gottfried Osaimensa, a Ghanaian who was pastoring a church in Nairobi in Kenya during the 1970s. Until that is that John Stott recruited him to help build the ministry that grew out of that extraordinary gathering that took place in 1974 in Switzerland. This we now know of as the uniquely influential Lausanne movement. Gottfried is now a very sprightly 87 and living in Reading in the UK. But because of COVID restrictions, we had to meet recently on Zoom with his children Ruth and Steve on hand. Gottfried first came into contact with British Christians through his secondary school back in Ghana. And as we'll hear, the life and witness of its headmaster, a man called Clifford Sims, played a crucial part in his journey to Christ. Here he explains what happened when Mr. Sims announced that he was opening his home anyone, to students anyone, for a Bible study. After you have done your prep, after three, seven o'clock, after you finish prep, you can come there and, and, and join in. And of course, everybody wanted to go to the headmaster's bungalow. <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly a Bible study became very popular. <laughs> so, so I went there one Friday and, uh, you know, Oh, a little shy boy at that time, <laughs> and looked through the window, and the place was full. So I decided that, well, I'll go back to my dormitory. Now, he had seen me, but I, you know, so as I was retreating, he came through the kitchen door and <laughs> came onto the compound and said, Gottfried, there is a place for you. <laughs> Wonderful. So now I followed him sheepishly into the into the. <laughs> A, a, a large sitting room, and, uh, and the place was packed, but there was only one chair, and he pointed to it, and, and, and I sat down. Now, to my great horror, he came and sat, sat on the floor in front of me. <laughs> wow. Now, that Friday, I just did not hear anything that went on in the Bible study. All I was saying to myself, why would he do that? Why would he do that? That's his house. This is a headmaster bungalow. And, and obviously that was a chair in which he was sitting. 
So I was sitting, the headmaster's chair, and he was sitting in front of me on the floor. Now, that, that really was something which, you know, <laughs> I just could not understand. And, and so, you know, it, it really was an amazing time. And I was there at the school for um, how many years? Four years. And I really look back and give thanks to God because mm. that, is, that was a time when I really was opened up to, to the things of the Lord. So, so your experience actually was then a very positive one in oh, yes. summary. Indeed. Yep. Yes, indeed. Um, but at the school, mm. you knew that you were, you were basically being prepared as the next generation for a newly independent Ghana. I think so. I think that was the kind of thing that had been uh, you know, put into the minds of all the peoples. Yeah? That yeah. Uh, you, know, you are here, you are going to be <laughs> the leaders of tomorrow. So you know, right. now and so on. And, 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 and I think many of, many of my classmates, along with others, also in other schools and so on, sure. they really were motivated you know, to, to really learn because they knew uh, a lot depended upon them. So was there a feeling of optimism then, do you remember, uh, about yes, the Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. So mm -hmm. you come over to the UK uh, yeah. to, go to be an undergraduate? Yeah. Um, so what were you studying and where were you? I was in Birmingham. I was doing chemical engineering. And did you think that that's where your life was leading? And that's right. I had visions of <laughs> one day becoming a, a chief engineer, you know. <laughs> so. But it seems that the Lord had other ideas. Oh, yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so how soon did you realize that he had other ideas, do you think? In my second year. It was during his time at Birmingham that Godfrey met the woman who would become his wife, Audrey, uh, on the Christian Union Executive Committee. And he went on to explain in our conversation that during his second year, he had something of a spiritual crisis. God seemed to be wanting more from him. Now, the nature of his scholarship through the Ghanaian High Commission meant that he was committed to working for five years in industry after graduation. So that is what he did. He worked for Mobile Oil and we rejoined the conversation as he explains what happened when he announced that he would be leaving to do Christian ministry. I think eventually they wanted me eventually to take over the, the industrial sales department of Mobile Oil in Ghana. And, uh, and, and I, <laughs> then I dropped the, the bombshell to them and I said, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving. <laughs> And I said, where? Well, they thought I had been recruited by Shell. Uh. <laughs> so they were, they were fighters, you know. And they said, where are you going, Shell? You know, if they are, you know, they say, if Shell is offering you more money, you know, more pay, please let us know. Mm. And, and, and we will see what we can do, see. And I said, no, it's not that. I am not leaving you to join Shell. I'm leaving you because I'm going to Christian work. <laughs> Did they think you'd gone completely mad? <laughs> <laughs> my my manager, my manager, there, he he was an Armenian, uh, you know, and, and so on. Uh, Kemajan was his name, and uh, and and he was a, a kind of a nominal Catholic. <laughs> and he says, "You are you are going to be a past, you know, you are going to be a father." <laughs> and I say, "Yes, that's right." 
because they call the ministers, you know, fathers and so on. And I say, yes, that's, but I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to be in a Catholic church. And so which church are you going to join? And I said, no, it's not a church. I'm going to work with a, a Christian, a Christian um, association. At that time, they have formed what they call PAFIS, PAFIS, mm -hmm. uh, the Pan-African Fellowship of Evangelical Students, right. which was a kind of a, uh, because they're developing uh, Christian unions in universities uh, around uh, West Africa. Um, they, want, they, <laughs> they wanted you know, somebody who will be traveling to mm -hmm. encourage the Christian unions in the university, new universities in uh, West Africa, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in Sierra Leone, and Liberia, and so on. That's the English-speaking West Africa. Mm -hmm. So when you take on this role with um, the traveling job, were you married by then? No. No, I wasn't married. No. Um, that was in 19... Um, no, when was it? I was no, married. You were married. Yes, I was married. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, I was married. I was married when I was in uh, Mobile Oil. Right. Because uh, Audrey came to visit um, uh, my parents uh, in 1962. And then in 19... Uh, 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 63. 63. We were married in August 1963. Right. Can you um, reflect on what it was like to have a, a mixed race marriage at that time? Uh -huh. Because um, it's obviously much more um, normalized and accepted these days, but not so common then. Was that, did that cause you any challenges? It did indeed. It did cause a lot of challenge <laughs> because um, uh, Audrey's parents were converted and they were very fine Christians. And, uh, and so, we, you know, I really became great friends with them. But their extended family, uh, Audrey's mother's sisters, and uh -huh. then uh, her, uh, her father's, uh, you know, others and so on, uh, they, they, they really <laughs> didn't you know, didn't like the idea at all. Right, right. They made their feelings known. Uh, they, they made it known, not to me, but, <laughs> mm. but to Audrey's mother and to, uh, you know, her father. Mm. And, and not only that, not, that was not on their side. On my side in Ghana, uh, they, <laughs> my extended family, they, 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 they came together, I don't know who, who brought them together, but they wrote a very strong letter to Audrey's parents that they, sh they should not entertain the idea that I will marry their daughter because uh, <laughs> they told them that, uh, a lie. <laughs> they had already found a wife for me. Oh, goodness. <laughs> which was not true, of course. Mm. But anyway, uh, they, they wrote a letter, you know, uh, they got a, 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 a former person to write a letter and those who could sign it, sign it. And those who could not sign it, uh, thumb printed it. Mm -hmm. And so this was sent to Audrey's um, uh, father. Um, in fact, just before she came to visit Ghana um, in 1962, that's when the letter was sent. And, uh, and, and so her parents didn't know what to do. They didn't know mm. how strong the feeling is, but her father wrote a very masterly letter to uh, my father. 
and 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 told uh, my father how they had you know received me there and uh, you know as you know almost sponsored me as a as a son you know during the time I was in England and so on and 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 now Audrey if Audrey is coming to Ghana now they say they don't want to see her here at all they say at least you should see what kind of person she is uh, and 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 then you can make up your mind and so on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so anyway uh, they still didn't say anything so <laughs> Audrey came anyway and we wow. visited home uh, and 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 I think when they met her uh, the the resistance uh, you know <laughs> and so on began she to melt away so anyway we mm. you know we were got we got married and uh, Mm. There was no more opposition, like you know, seen mm. about it. And yeah. uh, <laughs> the opposition came in Nairobi. The opposition in Nairobi—that's when it was. Oh yes, and the, Ruth is reminding so, me that mm. the real difficulty uh, that we had in our marriage, opposition to this kind of marriage, was when I was a pastor. I went to Nairobi and was pastor okay. in Nairobi Baptist Church. Yes. Now. <laughs> because, of course, um, when I went to the church there, it was 60% white and only 40% African. Mm. And, uh, and the African there, there were Kenyans, and then there were people from West Africa also there and so on. So that was the kind of church I took over from um, Tom Houston. So you were the first African pastor of that church? That's right, yeah. And so the opposition there, I mean, this is a few years later, isn't it? But the opposition there, was that from both sides or was it mainly the white people who just couldn't get their heads around? It's the white people. Right. It, the, the church, you know, you know, the white people there were, were really settlers. Mm. And the settlers, you know, uh, if I had gone, if I had gone uh, married to an African wife, I think I, think I wouldn't have had difficulty. But what mm. they couldn't stand was here was a, a pastor, black, who was married to a white, you know, person. And, and two, two families left immediately Goodness. as soon as we arrived. Two of the ones who remained there later on became friends. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but but it, was, it was tough for them. So, so that is where the, the difficulty was because it was, it was a settler. Um, so was that quite a shock, actually, having managed to persuade both sides of your family, hmm. or both families rather, than to, to take on this church job and find actually the, the, the opposition much tougher there in, in a situation where you might hope that things yeah. would be less, that's, less yes. stressful. <laughs> that's right. John Stott was a prolific writer, over 50 books to his name. And these are the primary means by which people can get to grips with his thinking and uh, his influence. And so in each episode, we're going to hear about a particular title and uh, hear how it has impacted one believer uh, in their Christian walk. Our book review in this episode is by Ed Veal. He is a student at Oak Hill Theological College and training for ministry in the Church of England, but that is not the only string to his bow. Before coming to Oak Hill, he was a law lecturer and has actually continued to do some of that while he's been a student again. 
so on both sides of the desk, as it were. And he is hoping to continue in ministry and thus provide a bridge between the secular and ecclesiastical worlds. It's something that John Stott himself particularly believed was important. Hello. I'd love to recommend to you John Stott's book, The Incomparable Christ. It's based on his London Lectures in Contemporary Christianity, which he delivered in 2000 at All Souls. And I first read this book about 15 years ago. I was just going off to Malawi on my gap year, and I thought it'd be good to take a bit of stock with me. And, you know, I'm really glad I did. I was struck in the book that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, whether that's in central London or southern Africa. And so the drumbeat of the book from start to finish, really, is the beauty, the glory of Jesus himself. The book's got four parts, each of which is kind of vintage stot. That is crisp, well-crafted logic, pushing for a heartfelt and wholehearted response from us. So the first part is entitled The Original Jesus, and stot does an overview really of the letters in the New Testament showing how they all bear witness above all to Jesus himself and they're just succinct concise yet loaded summaries of each letter and book of the New Testament distilling the central themes of each book he's just passionate that the Jesus whom we seek to follow is the very Jesus of scriptures themselves And then the second part of the book is entitled The Ecclesiastical Jesus, showing how the church has presented him over the centuries. And what I like here is Stott's generous appreciation of how other traditions within the church have expressed the way of Jesus. Yet he doesn't hold back from gentle critique of those. Then the third part of the book is entitled The Influential Jesus or How He's Inspired People. And what I love here is the classic stock of the holistic influence Christ has or should have upon us. So he gives a dozen cameos uh, from history, whether that's the Labour politician from the 1930s, George Lazenbury, talking about the dignity of manual labour, or the missionary to India, Henry Martin, and the zeal for Christ's honour, or the social action works of Lord Shaftesbury and Wilberforce. And then finally, the fourth and final part of the book is entitled The Eternal Jesus, where Stott takes us through the book of Revelation in a whistle-stop tour, showing us how this eternal, risen, returning Lord Jesus still challenges us today. He covers so much ground in such a focused way, always drawing out how Jesus is someone whom we've got to respond to personally and above all in humility. I think what I've appreciated most about this book is that Stott has shown us afresh that the only right response to Jesus is to kneel. And I for one need to hear that again and again and that that is where the Christian life begins And it's the only place where it can grow. You must kneel. Well, let let me um, (laughs) move sort of forward a bit to Lausanne, 1974. Mm -hmm. So you've been in Nairobi for then, what, three years. Presumably you already knew John Stott by that point. Your um, friendship with him began while you were a student engineer and yeah. continued 
both while you were with Mobile and then with um, Student Ministry. That's right. That's right. right. Yes. So when John asked you to be involved in Lausanne, can you do you remember what he his request was, what his expectations might have been? Uh -huh. Okay. Now, um, the person who was uh, uh, who who really drew, drew me into Lausanne was uh, Paul Little. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Little, uh, who was uh, had been conducting the um, you know, um, um, the mission meetings, um, you know, for the universities in Canada and uh, and United States, uh, Urbana Convention, Urbana mm -hmm. Student Ministries, and so on, which was a kind of a, you know, uh, Tom uh, uh, John was already involved, very much involved. Every one of the Urbana. Um, mm. you know, sort of um, meetings. They've become quite legendary, those That's right. at Urbana, haven't That's they? Right, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Paul Little came over also. He was he passed through Nairobi. He was going to, on his way to South Africa for a, a, a mission to one of the universities there. And on his way back, he stopped over in Nairobi. And he, he said he had, he had told me that he had some message for me. And uh, he came in when actually <laughs> I was down with chicken pox. <laughs> my Stephen, my son, my son had got chicken pox at school <laughs> and, and, and came home and, and offloaded it on me. <laughs> Very generously shared. <laughs> he, he, he had it for three days. I was down, down for about three weeks. <laughs> and you've never and let him was, forget it. <laughs> oh, incredible. It was in the midst of that. The poor mm. little came in and uh, to sat on my you know, bed. My bed. You were sick in bed. Yeah, I was sick in bed. He was he sat on my bed to persuade me to <laughs> to join, um, you know, to join to be part of the uh, planning committee for Lausanne. So you had no choice then. No, <laughs> resistance no. is futile. <laughs> <laughs> he said. He says, well, you know, John Stott and 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 and, and uh, Billy Graham. And, uh, and 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 the Bishop Jack Dane, they, they've all said that you should, you know, you should be on. <laughs> no, sir. How can you say no? <laughs> and, too sick to say no. And he says there are three people who are in Africa who must be there, and and uh, first of Avenger is one, mm -hmm. and and you, and then uh, there was another one, uh, um, Sam Odunaike, or Sam mm -hmm. Odunaike was. Um, uh, another Christian leader from Nigeria, and he says, "Well, th they said I should bring you all. You all of you should be in there." And I said, mm -hmm. "Well, <laughs> I said, please, <laughs> please, could you excuse me from this one?" He says, "I have been here. I am up to my eyes, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't know how I can cope, you know." <laughs> and I said, "Since since Tom left, I am already beginning to have ulcers." And now mm. you, you know, I can cope with that, with the Baptist Church on my own. And now you want me to, you know, to take on some other things. Yet. And he said, Gottfried, whatever you do, you must be part of Lausanne. <laughs> so there's really so, no room for maneuver at all then. He was not going to take any, any answer, no for an answer. <laughs> so presumably this was, what, a year in advance, 73 or something, was it? Or... It was in 73. What specific role did they want you to take? Or was it there as a representative? Or did they have a specific job in mind? Well, it, 
at that time, they didn't have any particular job in mind. Right. This was a planning for the Lausanne Congress. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, Festo Kivangere and I were from East Africa. Samo mm -hmm. Dunaike and somebody else was coming from West Africa. And then other people from the Francophone Africa. They had all arranged so that uh, they have representatives from, mm. you know, from all these places, uh, uh, which, of course, meant that a follow up, the follow up of Lausanne will be much easier if mm. you already you know, have uh, people respected from these areas already from Lausanne going to involve others and so on into it. Uh, John was there and, uh, mm. and uh, it, was, it was good working with him on the planning committee and so on. Uh, somebody who always, uh, you know, had something useful to say. <laughs> now, do you think that um, it, it was largely through his influence that the Global South had a, a, a good voice at Lausanne, or were other people committed to that as well? Indeed, it was. Because, you see, uh, uh, somebody like um, um, René Padilla, mm -hmm. I think, I think René had been one of uh, Langham Trust. Um, uh, uh, scholars. I remember scholars. he said it in, uh, you know, under that fine uh, pastor or a uh, professor in Manchester. That's where oh, he did. F. F. Bruce. That's right. Like F.F. Mm. F. F. Bruce. That's right. It was under F.F. F. Bruce that he did his uh, doctorate there. And I think it was a, a long thing. Mm. Uh, and then I had also met, of course, Sam, Edu uh, um, Sam Escobar. Mm -hmm. I had met him uh, um, uh, in. Uh, IFES circles, because uh, I led, you know, I led a delegation from, from, from a, 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 a Pan-African Christian Fellowship, you know, mm. uh, to to um, to uh, one of the uh, IFES uh, in um, uh, conferences, annual conferences in uh, Austria. So I knew I knew both of them very well by that time, and it was good to see them, you know. Mm. They really sh shone also at uh, Lausanne <laughs> mm. to, to, to the dismay of many of the Americans. <laughs> I know that there were tensions at the big yeah. event. Yeah. Um, I'm just interested to know what, uh, what, what impact John had or what um, role he played mm -hmm. in the whole um, sort of dynamic of that. I think... I think uh, well, John, of course, uh, his main thing at Lausanne was the editing, editing of the, uh, the Lausanne Covenant. Right. And uh, uh, at Lausanne, there were these, uh, these uh, younger leaders who were much more radical. Mm. <laughs> the, um, the two I have mentioned, and then there were many others also from America who, who mm. of the same kind of uh, thing. And they thought that uh, they, wanted, they wanted the covenant and what went into the Lausanne Covenant uh, to to be more more radical than mm. so than 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 just you know uh, the usual evangelical language and that sort of thing, and, right, and, right. and particularly um, the 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 idea that uh, it is part of a um, part of our Christian responsibility for for um, the, the social responsibility, right? The social responsibility of the Christian. And one of the clauses in the um, in the covenant uh, made that very quite quite specific. Uh, and then, of course, the whole matter of um, a simple lifestyle. Um, I've forgotten the name of the uh, 
the chap in the United States who was uh, leading that. And was that Ron, Ron Sider? Ron Sider. That's Ron right, Sider. Ron Sider. Yeah. Oh. Thank you, Steve. That's right. Mm. And, and, and he, along with, um, you know, um, uh, Rene and, uh, and mm. Sam Escobar and various other, were very keen that these things, so, you know, should be in the covenant. John encouraged them. And, and that was actually to the dismay of many of the, <laughs> uh, you know, American uh, evangelicals and so on. John identified himself with the radical discipleship, you know. Uh, what do you think was behind these these younger new leaders wanting to sort of you know fly the flag for a broader missiology if you like mm-hmm. um, was it because of the you know the context of political turmoil and dictatorship and that kind of thing um, or was there something deeper i think it was something deeper uh, they had been struggling you know in latin america uh, rene and uh, Sam Escobar had been struggling with those uh, liberation theology. They were, you know, and they say, well, evangelicals must have an answer right. to liberation theology. And, and, and they say, well, and then they went, of course, they, they said, well, evangelicals had always had, you know, um, the conscience, social conscience. And right. they mentioned, you know, um, they went back to the years. Uh, the abolition of the slave trade and, and the clap and sect and, and, and so on. And they said, well, well, why have we given all that up? Mm. And so now you see people who, who are not evangelical, um, in, in fact, Marxists, uh, mm. are, are now beginning to, you know, sort of taking the, the grounds that the evangelicals ought to be occupied and have occupied in the past. Mm. And this is where John really encouraged them. Mm. And John said, they are quite correct. You know, evangelicals must do something uh, to help evangelicals in Latin America, for example, right. to stand up against just uh, the, the uh, you know liberation theology and to really go for the real thing, and yeah. uh, and, and say that uh, now look, this is you know, the social conscience. The Christian has a social conscience also. From your perspectives, you know, you and Festo and others, mm-hmm. you presumably could see where um, these others were coming from across yes. the Atlantic. Yeah, we could see where they were coming from. Now you see, in East Africa, um, the the, the um, what 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 we really were uh, up with was a kind of a, a renewal of the East African uh, revival, revival. Mm. movement, uh, because again, part of it had become a bit uh, what shall I say, um, a bit formulaic, perhaps. That's right. Yes, it, it become you know sort of legalism. Langham Partnership is a unique organisation serving the church in well over 70 countries and it forms the umbrella for the various projects John worked on before his death. It exists to equip the next generation of church leaders, scholars and Bible teachers throughout the world through its literature, preaching and scholars programmes. So at the end of each episode I'm going to suggest a different point for prayer from across the ministry. So this time Please pray for the book distribution side of Langham Literature's work. This gives generous grants to seminary and Bible college libraries around the world, enabling them to choose the books that they want and need for equipping people for ministry in their contexts. So please pray for all the logistics involved in in shipping and ordering, as well as for the fact that these resources, these books, will be greatly used to further the kingdom. To find out more, 
visit langham.org, that is L-A-N-G-H-A-M dot org. And to find out more about John Stott himself in this his centenary year, visit johnstott, all one word, dot org. And there you'll find a blog related to this podcast, and each episode will have a post with relevant links, photos, and information. We're going to have to sort of wrap things up. I'd love to just talk all day, but um, <laughs> I'd love just to to um, draw things to to a close, just with just some focused thoughts on how you worked with John and your memories of him, and, yes. and perhaps anything that you found yourself disagreeing with him. I mean, I don't think you know he would be the first to admit that he was imperfect. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what are your abiding memories? Yeah, one of the one of the things one of the things uh, that came uh, well, <laughs> we began with uh, Lausanne. Anyway, um, to my horror, after Lausanne, <laughs> they elected a, a group to a continuation committee, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 uh, uh, and I was put on that also to add to all my burdens. <laughs> and then I when they were, you weren't busy enough. <laughs> when when they had their first meeting, it was in uh, uh, Mexico City, because mm-hmm. uh, 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 Billy was having a crusade there, and he said, "Please let let it be in the Mexico City, so that I can join in some of your discussions and so on." Anyway, I wasn't able to be there because I had been invited by the churches in Germany uh, to to um, uh, to have a you know, to go for a mission meetings in various churches, local churches. And, uh, and so Audrey and I were in Germany and then they woke me up one, mid- one midnight <laughs> and there was a telephone call from Mexico City uh, from Bishop Jack Dane saying that uh, Gottfried, you know, he said, Gottfried, and I was half asleep. He says, Gottfried, your name has been put forward to be executive <laughs> secretary of Lausanne. <laughs> your lucky day <laughs> could you tell me could you tell me if you have any objection for your name to go forward and I said please Jack tell them not to make anything public until they have asked Lausanne, the, the uh, Baptist church whether they will be prepared to release me and I said please <laughs> well, they apparently the next day a difficult moment you're half yeah. asleep or you're, you've got chicken pox <laughs> I know how to get you <laughs> Well, apparently the next day, it was in Time magazine that, <laughs> <laughs> that a 40-year-old pastor from Africa has been made the head of the Lausanne. <laughs> so that's Uncle John, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so John and I were together on the Lausanne committee. Um, he, he was very, very good in, uh, in on the committee and so on. Working with John for the, the few years after this then, yeah. What was that like? John always, he will listen, he will listen very carefully to discussions and so on. And then he comes in and, uh, and speaks. And then, then that, that is it. Because he brings the scriptures, he brings the scriptures to bear on what we've been saying and, and, and a lot of wisdom and so on. And after that, there is really nothing more to say. And uh, not because always, of his strength of character, but because he actually summarized the arguments. Is that what you mean? That's right. He, mm. Yeah, he's he summarized the whole thing and then give, gives it a, a biblical context. And I just always listen, you know, waited to listen to what uh, you know John will contribute. 
Now there were there were second uh, sometimes in the committee where there were difficulties. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, one uh, Leighton Leighton and uh, Leighton mentioned that uh, we have a number of uh, representatives on the committee from Africa and from other places, Asia also, and they come. They've been coming there. You know, they come to every meeting there, but they don't contribute much. I think there was a, a feeling that uh, if that is all the contribution they are going to make, uh, they probably could be asked to write something, you know, about what is being talked about and so on. And I think John John felt the same thing. Mm. And and I think I, at that point I was giving, um, I felt that I, I needed to say something. <laughs> and, and I probably it eased the situation a bit. And, and what I said was this, that, these, my brothers, are not fools. One of them from Zaire, for example, he was a um, deputy, he was the assistant bishop of the Church of Christ in Zaire. Mm. And he had a PhD from, from France. Mm. And I said, well, you know, he, he sits quietly and so on there. Uh, he hasn't said anything, not because he's a fool, <laughs> but because our Western brethren are full, are full of ideas and so on. And so, you know, one speaks and before the other one is finished, somebody else speaks. And I said, well, the kind of culture from which uh, we have come from, you, you, won't, you won't find them interrupting mm -hmm. to bring in anything. Mm -hmm. So I said, to, I said to my chairman, Leighton, and I said, when, when discussions are taking place, after, after people have contributed and so on, go to our brothers and then call them by name and say, Sam Odunaike, for example, he was a, 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 he was a, um, a, a manager uh, of um, uh, British Petroleum in Nigeria uh, and had a very fine, you know, he had a great responsibility. And, uh, and he was also the head of the Four Square Gospel Church in mm -hmm. the whole of Nigeria. And I said, you just ask him, Sam, this is what they are saying. Is there anything that you want to, you know, contribute from from the perspective of Africa or your place mm. and so on? And so Leighton began doing that, you know, right. and it was amazing. Made you the know, difference. The, the tremendous things, wisdom that was coming from these brethren who hitherto has been sat mm. quiet, not saying anything, and it is it it was all it is all cultural. Yes, I mean that's interesting, isn't it? Because there's a presumption, I guess. You know, well-intentioned, but still a presumption behind a lot of interactions where people assume, well, in the West, we all sort of chip in and, you know, if That's people right. are there, they'll chip in as well. And if they don't chip in, it's because they have That's not anything right. to say. Yeah. Whereas yeah. actually, we do need to be careful to, to work out, well, how would they operate more That's comfortably right. and That's then right. give, them a, give them a voice? That's right. In yeah. a way, that's what Lausanne was all about, wasn't it? Yes, it, it is. In part of its legacy. That's right. Yes, and John John understood very well because, of course, he knows many, many of these brethren himself. Mm. So, yeah. Did you get a sense that he was happy to work alongside and under other people in leadership? Yes, he was. He doesn't need to be in charge. No. Now John has always, you see, <laughs> wherever it, it it involves uh, editing, editorial things, and so on. Uh, they always want to because 
He said, well, you know, he will put it in better English than anybody else. <laughs> so, so he got the job. Better than any Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, last question then. Um, this has just been wonderful. But last yeah. question, bird watching. Did he convert you to bird watching? No, he didn't convert me, but... Uh... <laughs> he tried? Did he try? I think I, I, think, I, think I didn't take, you know, in Ghana, when, whenever he mm -hmm. visited me, or in Nairobi, Actually, in Nairobi, when he came to Nairobi, he asked Bishop, Bishop uh, David Guitari. Oh, yes. <laughs> and a story is told about John and David, you know, David agreed to take John to a certain place for bed watching. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and he took him, you know, at the appropriate time. And they got there and, and John got all his, uh, you know, his things ready and so on. And he was expecting that David would be going with him. David sat in the car reading his morning <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> with whom did you have greater sympathy? <laughs> <laughs> I suspect well, you would have sat in the car as well, would you? <laughs> when he mentioned this to me, you know, it sounded as though, you know, it was really sacrilege. <laughs> It probably got him praying for him. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I've loved every minute of it. Really appreciate. Uh, and uh, thank you to, to Steve and Ruth, your children, who've both been on the line and uh, helping us out okay. at various points. So thank you so much. Well, I hope, I hope it's been useful to you. <laughs> More than. <laughs> You've been listening to The Stock Legacy, and I'm Mark Mannell. My thanks are to all my colleagues within the Langham Partnership family, but especially to Vic Marseille and all her editing and production expertise. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>